0: Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. As you'll hear, I loved this conversation with a delightful trio of actors. I loved it because we totally geeked out about acting, character development, and working with a script. I loved it because Amber, Matthew, and Thaddeus were making discoveries about the play and their production through conversations with each other in real time right in front of me. I loved it because we talked honestly about grief, parenting, loss, and compassion, and somehow managed to laugh joyfully throughout. It's rare to have the entire cast around the microphone for a podcast episode, Today, I'm thrilled to bring you Amber Wood, Matthew Hager, and Thaddeus Edwards, the cast of In a Word by Lauren Yee, produced by Bulldog Ensemble Theater, directed by Jules Odendahl James, and playing March 21st through April 1st at The Fruit in Durham. Ticket links are in the show notes. Spoiler alert. We don't talk about the design elements for this production, but we do drop a lot of information about the script, the motivations of the characters, etc. Now, personally, I love that information as an audience member going into a performance because I feel like it adds depth to my experience. But some audience members prefer to wait until they've seen the show to hear the -the behind-the-scenes insights. Whether you want to go deep before or after, Be sure to listen to this conversation and to see the show. On to the bios. Amber Wood is an actor, theater maker, and story lady previously from Durham, North Carolina and currently based in Hamilton, Ontario. While living in the Triangle, she worked with Manbite's Dog Theater, Haymaker, Urban Garden Performing Arts, and Deep Dish Theater Company, among others. In 2018, Amber formed Lightbulb Heart, a collaborative theater company that celebrates empathy and encourages lifelong play. Current Lightbulb Heart projects include There's an Easy Bake Oven Where My Heart Should Be and Karaoke Visiting Hour. Matthew Hager is an actor, musical theater composer, and theater educator based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. He is a graduate of UNC School of the Arts and UNC Chapel Hill, with additional training at DePaul University, Shakespeare & Company, and Michael Howard Studios. In The Triangle, Matthew has performed with many theater companies, including North Carolina Theater, Man Bites Dog, Deep Dish, and Burning Coal, with whom he has been a company member since 2012. Upcoming productions include The Legend of Georgia McBride for Honest Pint, In 2017, Matthew founded Aggregate Theatre Company, with the mission of developing a younger, theater-going audience in the Triangle. Thaddeus Edwards has been performing in and around the Triangle for over 15 years. As an actor, he has been seen across the state of North Carolina, as well as Charleston, South Carolina, Washington, D.C., New Haven, Connecticut, and New York City. Locally, he has worked with Man Bites Dog Theater Company, Little Green Pig Theatrical Concern, Hidden Voices, Street Signs, and many, many more. He is a founding member of Bulldog Ensemble Theater, having made his directorial debut with Bulldog's inaugural production of Curve of Departure. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Hi. Thank you so hey. much for being here. <laughs> I am so lucky to have the entire ensemble of three (laughs) humans together for this interview. You are all in In a Word by Lauren Yee, and this is a production directed by Jules Odendahl James, produced by Bulldog Ensemble Theater. It will be premiering for The Triangle at The Fruit in Durham, March 21st through April 7th. I will include the links in the show notes so people can get information about times and tickets and all that good stuff. Part of the description of this on the Bulldog Ensemble Theater's website is, When a couple's child goes missing, words fail and sustain them through their search. And then on Lauren E.'s website, this is a portion of the way that in a word is described. It says, As Fiona delves back into her memories of that fateful day to uncover that crucial missing piece, grief and comedy collide and ordinary turns of phrase take on dangerous new meanings. So it seems to me, tell me if you agree or disagree about this, that the playwright Lauren Yee is interrogating the nature of language as a means to connect and disconnect us, to anchor us and disorient us, and as a result, the script contains language play, which requires a certain kind of mental and emotional dexterity and acting technique. That's what I got from reading the script. So <laughs> if we, does that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah? yeah absolutely. Okay. All right. How did you unpack this fairly dense script in rehearsal? Is it, is it dense, do you think, or is it
1: deceptively simple? Like how would you hmm. define it? We were talking in rehearsal the other day about what's harder to memorize, really <laughs> arcane or Shakespearean language or this, and I think it may be this, mm-hmm. because it sounds so similar to the way that we ordinarily speak, that it's easy to lapse into our own language or go, oh, wait, did I say that? Was that correct? Mm-hmm. Or was No, it was the other way. Wait, wait, no, nope, it was the other way. No, that was right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's difficult.
2: Yeah, it's a lot harder to paraphrase. In a show like this, I think there is a tendency with a lot of scripts to, you know, just sort of allied um, information, especially, you know, in, in the middle part of the rehearsal. But there is a danger with the way language is used um, in, in this play, where if you do that, you can absolutely throw yourself down a wrong turn. Because the way you might put the idea together in your mind is the way that a character may say this like three pages from now, but that's not the way they're saying it on this page. And
1: there's lots of repetition.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, Augmented repetition. (laughs) Is that that a thing? (laughs) (laughs) Augmented repetition? (laughs) Yes. It is. uh, Yeah. Um, And and I, I, I don't, I don't think of it as a, like a dense play. Uh, It doesn't feel heavy, I guess. I I mean, there's emotional weight to it, but the language doesn't bog it down in any way. Um, I don't think it's kind of like if you—it's just layered how one of my lasagnas would turn out versus like someone who's really good at making lasagna. I guess so. uh, It's either it's going to be a lot better when someone does it well. Uh, Should I stretch the metaphor further? It's 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 delicious. It's delicious.
0: (laughs) It is. It is. But as you say, as you're saying, there's a lot of repetition. And there are small differences in the way that someone says something in one scene versus the way that is repeated in later scenes and small changes. Words are used, the same word is used to mean different things. So it is, it's tricky. Yeah, I I agree with you, Matthew. I don't think it is dense. I think it is deceptive <laughs> and yeah. it's, you know, you read it and you think, well, how hard can it be? And then you're sitting down with it and you're like, it, it could be hard. It is exactly hard. So so circling back to that idea, when you got this script
1: and you went into rehearsal, what did you do to approach it as a group? We spent a week on just pure table work, not in our bodies or figuring out where we were going to move on the stage, just sitting down together, reading through the script taking it into digestible chunks, saying, what are we saying here? Where are we going? What's the intention? Where is this prop that has to be from this place to this place? <laughs> mm-hmm. We spent two whole rehearsals, I think, trying to figure out where the boxes <laughs> in the script. When and, she uh, says
3: box, so she means the box or the white box or... Or the cardboard, cardboard box. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, There are three sets of boxes that appear at random mm-hmm. and not at random. And sometimes they're already on stage when they're supposed to come on stage. It was like, is it a duplicate box on purpose? Or do we need to find a way to get that original box off stage? And how is it different from the other two boxes of various other props that have to come on with them? Mm-hmm.
0: That
2: also mean completely different things. Right.
1: Yes. One of the things I love about
0: Tablework is that it uses the script more like a blueprint. Mm-hmm. And as a document that has a structure that is important and can be investigated as a piece that is separate from something that is embodied. You know what I mean? So at a certain point, we need to get on our feet and move around and do that part of it, which Mm -hmm. is really obviously very important. That's what people go to see theater for. But for me, at least, when I am an actor and I go straight to standing up and moving around, I can only think about that. I lose that deeper relationship of what is happening with the text, because all I can think about is, where am I going to stand? Like, what am I doing with my hands? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I always appreciate when rehearsals have the spaciousness to actually engage in table work. I mean, sometimes you can't do it. Mm-hmm. You have to be like, all right, we're going to read this and we're, we're up, you know, because yeah. we have the, we have like seven rehearsals <laughs> before we go up and that's <laughs> it. So being able to sit down and take it apart and treat it like a Rubik's cube and answer all the questions that you have. Right. You know, because that can also feel weird when you're standing up in rehearsal and you're like, I have a question, but I don't want to stop the forward motion of this <laughs> rehearsal. But when you're all sitting there already, that can be a great invitation to, to say the things you're curious about.
1: There are also multiple flashbacks in this piece of text. So it's helpful for us to know when we get on our feet, where we are emotionally mm-hmm. in that character, whether that's present day or seven years prior or two years prior or the previous morning. It's really helpful to when popping in and out of scenes to be able to get back to present at the same emotional place to have that kind of carryover of integrity. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back into the flashback, you know where you started.
2: Yeah, I think once we got up on our feet, that actually made it a little bit easier for me to understand the timeline of mm-hmm. the piece, mm-hmm. um, there was there was an understanding of it on the page, mm-hmm. but once we started staging and almost understanding where different parts of the stage represented different times mm-hmm. and different moods and different memories, uh, the the shift allowed those things to uh, be put into better relief. Mm-hmm. At least just for me, just knowing that oh, if I'm standing over here, it's now and when I take three steps away from here, I'm seven years ago. And that definitely, it it sort of, it it flattened, but it also like deepened the understanding of how time is being played around with.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I like the idea of sort of combining what you are both talking about, Amber and Thaddeus. And that is, it's sort of like you're using the script like a map. And you know, when (laughs) Maybe people don't do this anymore, but a long time ago <laughs> with maps, you know, you would- In the would, 90s. In the, yeah. <laughs> way, back, way back in the 90s when things were different, people would put little like tacks and little highlights and, you know, you work with the map in that way. Yeah. You write on the map and you chart it that way, but that's different than actually driving hmm, to a place. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so you have both. So we've got the, like the sort of planning, highlighting phase and then we have what Thaddeus is talking about, which is actually being in the place right. and driving there and living that experience. You know, maybe we need to go back to that kind of mapping
3: for the car—a <laughs> <laughs> like, real experience. Yeah. No, but that's that's a good. I, I guess I hadn't thought about it like that before. But it like when you plan ahead like that for a, a drive, then it means you get to actually enjoy the road you're on versus trying to figure out where what's my next move. Right. Um, and it. And it allows you to be like in the moment allows you to act, you know, yeah. when you're in rehearsal, when you've done the table work, the pre-work, mm-hmm. um, and now you get to, you know, drive. Yeah. yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having us Tamra. Oh,
0: <laughs> the end. Um, were, were there any other little nuggets that you gleaned from the table work? And, and in just a minute, we're going to read some of this great script, but anything else that you can
1: think of that you grabbed? very specifically, my character uses a lot of idioms hmm. to try to distance herself from other characters. And um, at one point, she says, all of these creatures come out of the woodwork. And I, I had to look up the idiom because I know that it means, oh, yeah, people come out of the woodwork. My grandma said that all the time. Yeah. Well, what does but that it's mean? like, no, it's actually <laughs> something unsavory appears or is revealed. Mm. And the next thing that's huh. revealed after I say that is the kidnapper in our story. And I was like, oh, my gosh. She's actually using that very specifically, and I just thought, she's a genius. I love her.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's magic when that happens. (laughs) It's magic. Shall we read?
2: Yeah. Yes, please.
0: Would somebody like to set up what is going to be happening, or at least give us an intro to this selection?
2: I would describe this selection as somewhat of a collision of present memory and possibly imagination. Mm -hmm.
0: Hmm. Is it the beginning? It the is. The play? Yeah, is this the first scene? Yes.
2: This is the first scene. This okay. is the top of the play.
0: Okay, great. So for people who are listening, I'm going to read just a tiny bit of stage directions to orient you all, but I'm not in the play.
1: So.
0: <laughs> 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 okay, are we ready? Yes. All right. Guy returns home from work with a newspaper and a small paper bag.
2: Fiona, you ready?
0: Hmm.
2: You're not ready. I am. I thought you wanted to go to dinner. I do. Thought you wanted it to go now. In a minute. It took me two months to get this reservation. Then
1: another minute's not gonna hurt. I just need to find one little thing and then we'll go.
2: You absolutely positively promise? Yes. Okay. Here. What is it? What's brown and sticky? A stick? A cupcake. A little something. From Andy. Why? Just to celebrate.
1: Celebrate what?
2: I don't know. Happy birthday, I guess.
1: Oh, right. Later. I'll have it later, after dinner.
2: So, how was your day today? Fine. Anything interesting? Not really. I saw, you know. What? The article in the newspaper. Good. Local section. Front page. I know. I thought we agreed we weren't talking about this anymore. Thought you said you never wanted to talk about it again.
1: They called. They wanted to know how we were doing two years later. They just wanted a word. What was I supposed to say?
2: No. That's a word. Say
1: that. If it's for the case, it was for the case.
2: Because, you know, Andy once had a girlfriend who had a kid. She stopped talking to the media, and it helped.
1: Hey, you get something in the paper and all kinds of people come out of the woodwork. Exactly. Just today. I was in the grocery store, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy comes right up to me and says...
3: Hey. Hey? I know you. Excuse me? In the paper? This morning? Fiona Hamlin?
1: Oh. Right. Yeah.
3: You don't remember me, do you?
1: I'm sorry, should I?
3: I think I had your kid. In class? In captivity.
1: No. I'm
3: pretty sure.
1: You got a picture? Oh my god, that's Tristan.
3: And
2: what did he have to say for himself?
1: Honestly, I didn't think to bring it up.
2: I think you imagined it. Guy. I'm just saying... You met him buying watermelon? Cantaloupe. And you're not the least bit suspicious. He came up to me. Exactly. You don't
1: believe me. I'm
2: just saying, there's this guy, and there was that last guy? Which guy? At the bakery, at the school, at the gas station. So I
1: see lots of them.
2: They can't all be your guy. No? Because you know you only get one. Did you even ask him?
1: I tried. Did you hurt him? Did I ever. Did you hit him?
3: Did I ever. What did you do with him? Same thing as you. I lost him. Wait. I I should get going. My meter's gonna expire. What are
1: you up to tomorrow?
3: Listen, lady, I said hi. It's been nice. But really, I gotta go. Where is he? He was right under your nose. Have a good day. The
0: kidnapper disappears back to the present and the living room.
2: So he gave you a cantaloupe?
1: Which he touched, which I then brought to the detective. Why? Why not?
2: Because you think he's an idiot. Because the longer he stays on this case, the worse he seems to get.
1: Worse is better than nothing.
2: And what did you say, huh? I met a guy, and another guy, and among the six of them, I may have your guy.
1: I did? I do.
0: Thank you so much. That was a selection from In a Word by Lauren Yee. Everyone should go out and buy that play. (laughs) 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 It's a wonderful script. I think that's a really good example of a good representation of the play in that this world is what I call very, it's very bendy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very slidey. It slides back and forth in time. It slides in and out of reality. There's internal, there's external. It's hard to pin down.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: How do you make sense of this as an actor, either very technically Thaddeus was talking about, like, when I stand here, I know I'm in the present, you know, like, so sort of tactically and technically, how do you do this? But also, kind of as a character, what does it mean to you? How do you make sense of it and keep track of this slidiness?
2: One of the things, honestly, that helps me to keep track of where they are is having a working understanding of how grief works, Mm -hmm. to be honest.
3: Yep.
2: You know, it's, it's knowing that, It's not a linear experience that there is represented between Fiona and Guy being either stuck in grief or having a a laissez-faire relationship to experiencing grief. And it's knowing that those those are two polar opposites. But at any one point, uh, an individual who is experiencing that is going to be on different parts of that continuum. So understanding what they're moving through, what they're dealing with, the truths, the the bits of imagination, the illusions that they are picking up and accepting or picking up and rejecting, and how all of that accumulates is what personally helps me sort of understand like where they are at different different moments of the play.
0: Because you don't get hung up on whether or not it, quote, makes sense whether or not it's realistic because there's not very much about grieving and loss that makes sense right. or it feels realistic. Right. And so I, I imagine it might be easier to just ride that wave that she has created and it makes a kind of sense, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. as much as it could. Matthew, you are playing seven characters. I think it's nine. Is it nine? How many?
3: Oh, gosh. Let's see. I've got to name my kids right now. Let's see. Uh, man, Tristan. Client is the sneaky one that shows up yeah. a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, Principal, Andy. That's five. Who am I missing? Kidnapper. Kidnapper.
1: Detective, photographer, and the oh, officer. Right. The photographer.
3: Yeah, nine. You're right. Nine. Good job, Amber. <laughs> well, you can have them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, speaking to the bendy nature of it, you know, um, that was the thing that when I ever first read the script uh, reading it as like the person to play those parts i that was the brilliance in one person playing both the kidnapper and the child that mm-hmm. was kidnapped, mm-hmm. and the person who is looking for the kidnapper and just how that absurdity of grief of where you see your loss in everything and mm-hmm. in everyone like any yeah. opportunity for it to show up it's there and yeah. then especially for fiona who is uh, you know obsessed understandably so about finding her child she would see that you know her son in everybody and then also see the kidnapper in everybody mm-hmm. i just I, I loved that part of the play and then i think another way that the bendiness of the play is, is truly profound
0: and how do you keep track of all these different? Not very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> N- yet. Yes. Just doing yes, a no. great job. I'm working on it. No, <laughs>
3: that was one thing that uh, uh, bookwork did not get me there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's it is getting it into the body, just getting the reps in right yeah. now, and uh, it, it is a blast. Like it is an actor's dream to be able to to hop in and out in different parts and and, and jump around the stage <laughs> and like that, and um, I, I'm loving it a lot. Something I think I may not have realized this until this past week and, and like thinking about the characters and how they're represented is that on top of like, say, the detective, well, the scene that comes following what we just read, the detective shows up in a memory of Fiona's. And so his representation at that time is Fiona's interpretation of him. Mm-hmm. He shows up later in the play in actual time. Um, so his, how he actually is shows up. Mm. Later, and uh, and I, that's something that didn't really occur to me at first of how he's much more absurd in Fiona's t- um, in the first scene with him, yeah, and not just because of maybe uh, the pressures being different earlier on in, in the case, it, it really is because we were dealing with memory and now we're not,
1: yeah. And Fiona's not entirely reliable, mm-hmm. her memories, because she is dealing with either memorializations of people's or behaviors or fixations on her own behavior. So she reveals things in layers, and I think that comes out mm. in the other characters mm. as well. Is anyone in this play reliable?
3: I would say no. I I, I, I would argue, man, my hmm. my main character is reliable because I think he is outside of everything else in the play, or not outside of everything else in the play, but he is never tied to reality. Or he's never manifested in hmm. reality. He's only a representation of Fiona's psyche or hmm. some truth seeking element. Right. Um or 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 a corner of her grief. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think that's the one trustworthy thing.
1: Yeah, because yeah. he's he's seeking after uncovering the truth. And that's mm-hmm. the one reliable piece. Even if he's coming out of an unreliable brain, he's definitely he knows what he wants.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What about Guy? What's his
0: deal? Is he <laughs> reliable? He's a terrible no, guy. He is
2: not like <laughs> I adore the character, but he won't take responsibility for his own shit until the chickens come home to roost he otherwise pl- attempts to place himself outside of responsibility he he i th- i think he tries to see himself as as objective and 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 all of these things but it's really just a way of avoiding responsibility avoiding accountability mm-hmm. and for those things yeah like i do not see him as fully reliable either
0: (laughs) and then how do you find the love for him well because i understand why he feels that way yeah
2: like i i I get it i totally get it like you don't the the pressures of the life that he has chosen slash found himself in is a bit overwhelming you know and i think He has an idea of an earlier life when he was younger and things were maybe more carefree or when things between he and Fiona were more simple or seemed more simple. Mm -hmm. And that's probably his own form of memorializing the past, Mm -hmm. um, idealizing these things. I think he either wishes that things were simpler or that people could see things the way he sees them. That they don't have to be so complicated. They don't have to be so freighted with, you know, all of these complications and meaning and everything. Like, why why can't we just speak plainly? Why can't we just do that? Yeah. I think there's merit to that. But it's just not always productive.
0: In Amber, Fiona is a really complicated character. How are you finding her? Um,
1: the first time I read the play, I loved her. And then I hated her. And I kind of go back and forth. And I find that in those moments, like when you really find yourself detesting a character, that's usually when you're probably the closest to them. So I've done a little self examination. <laughs> because you recognize yourself? Because Is I that, recognize yeah, myself. Yeah. I mean, that's I, a special feeling. You know, yeah. like in, the, in my outside life, I'm a story lady. So I spend a lot of time with small kids. And so recognizing my impulse sometimes to not physically shake a child, but inside, I'm just like, why won't you sit still? (laughs) But like that kind of thing, like when we have those thoughts, do we continue to hate ourselves for the rest of time? Mm. Or does Fiona reveal this possible thought life of hers if it didn't happen in reality or even if it did happen in reality? As this set of behaviors is the last thing that her child experienced of her. So that's the only thing she lives over and over and over again. And I, you know, we've talked about grief and loss a lot, like understanding those patterns. Like after we lose someone, sometimes that's the only thing that we replay is that negative conversation we had. Or sometimes it's that really great interaction we have, but that's the only thing that lives on for a while Until you can start to peel that back and find the rest of your experience with that person. And I feel like a lot of Fiona's grief experience, I can tack very closely to mine and other things. I'm like, okay, well, right now I just really don't like her and I have to figure out a way through that experience. How do I hold both of those things at the same time and allow them to both be true? Mm -hmm. So we've mentioned loss and grief
0: a lot so far in our conversation. Is that what this play is about to you?
2: Not entirely. I think that is a perhaps a starting point and perhaps a significant amount of the story. But because I do see a lot of the play through Guy's eyes, I do see the play about moving through grief and getting past it and getting to this place of integrating the grief into the person that you are now, you know, in, in being able to become unstuck. And find the joy in the sadness, and being able to mourn, but also remember remember the good along with the bad. Yeah, so that be- because it, it it
3: all allows you, it allows one to move forward. One of the impressions I just got from reading it was just like there's so much charm in it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about very heavy subjects right now, but there's a lot of laughter. Mm. Um, and, and the wordplay isn't all about making you, like, think about the wordplay. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it tickles your brain. And, and a lot of creative imagery is used in it. And I think it's, to me, it's a way that our brains, do kind of like jumble up everything we're taking in and we make those connections and and we use those connections and and reinterpret reality in a way that's most useful for our <laughs> our experiences and, and and uh and makes it more meaningful and gives us a way to go through life and, and whether or not our life is is dealing with grief right now or or it's being in love with someone uh, or or hungry i don't know <laughs> um it's 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 about to me it's about getting yourself out of your way hmm. so that you can deal with it, whatever it is for you. And it can be funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> life can be, life can be all those things. Yeah. It yes. can be. And yeah. some, yeah. I
3: mean, some of the biggest laughs are during the grieving process, mm-hmm. you know, or leading or an anticipation of it. Yeah. Reflecting uh, like, like Amber was saying, you know, so often like the, the negative stories are the ones we're stuck with um, when we've lost somebody, but then the positive ones have so much more power to Feel in that way. And then how quickly the negative ones come behind that positivity, I think, is the the shame <laughs> in all the in the situation. But I think that the play really, I feel like, captures and, and juxtaposes that laughter and, mm-hmm. and and the sadness and the absurdity and all of that so well. So it's odd to say it so realistically, because it's so imaginative <laughs> and, and not tied to reality. Mm-hmm. But it that's what makes it feel so true.
1: I mean, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about. The fact that there are large chunks of this that are about parenting and the choices that we as parents or the community surrounding parents make and don't make, especially when a child, as Tristan is in this play, has some needs that Fiona and Guy just are incapable of meeting. So there is a large section of it that's like, okay, how do we as parents or non-parents hold up people in our community who are dealing with kids who need a little more from us. Because regardless of Tristan's needs or non-needs, like Fiona and Guy are just not equipped to handle him. And I think the saddest thing for me about that is that they don't really have community. The only person that's mm. given to them is Andy, who's one of the other characters in the play. <laughs> Wah-wah, <laughs> Wah-wah right? And talk about unreliable. I mean, he, he, does, he does tell the truth. Yeah. He's the only person who yeah. really tells truth to Guy. So there's that section of it. But like, if this guy is their only community, <laughs> I, I, I just, I want to hug these people and be like, you're, you're going to be okay, but you need some respite care yeah, and you, you need an IEP and you need some help to get through this. Um, and that's a reality for a lot of parents in our communities. And I think that a lot of us are just letting them suffer in silence or alone. Mm. Again, back to this deceptively
0: simple idea, right? It seems at first glance that oh, this is a play about people who've suffered a loss, except it's also about a million other things, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it is it's about It's for a that. lot of different people. Yeah, it's, it is about parenting. It is about being lost yourself. And there's nothing that I've experienced that is more disorienting than having children. And it's a it's a very clear marker between life before kid and life after kid when shit gets Bananas. So I don't even. Know. I can't even see. And that's the thing. That's what I like about this place so much. Is, is this language, this miscommunication, is a great representation of how hard it is to talk about these things that are so important with the people we love, with the people we are quote close to, about some of the most important events in our lives, and and trying to untangle them. But you can't even find the words to use to represent them to yourself let alone to somebody else my experience at least with children is that intensity is almost impossible to put language around mm-hmm. it is one of the reasons that i have not done any writing about parenting <laughs> since i've had kids i mean i've written i've written about it but from a really really far away like writing about grown-up kids, you know what I mean, for example. Mm. Um, Or Mm. sort of writing about, I had this conversation with my kid on Facebook, you know what I mean, like in a little paragraph on Facebook, but I can't write a play like what Lauren Yee wrote because I feel like it's too raw, it's too close, I have no idea how to talk about this, and I have no idea how I would be perceived by people Mm. who would hear me say the things that actually go down in my internal world Moment to moment, you know, and you and you do think about things like the last time I saw my kid, he punched me in the face. You know what I mean? He knocked my glasses off, and then I like wrestled him into the car seat, Mm -hmm. and then we drove, and he screamed the whole way. (laughs) Yep, you know what I mean? That was fun. Like that was really fun, you know. And so those are the, the like the ugly bits that you're really trying to make sense of. And then two seconds later, after that happens, I love you, mom. You're my favorite. I want to live with you forever. And those things are all true and at the same all time. all true. And how do you talk about them? Yeah. It's like emotional bungee jumping. It's like crazy mm. life whiplash. It is nuts. And so I love that she took a chance. I think she took a chance in writing a play in this sort of uncompromising way. Mm-hmm. Um, because even in the best of circumstances, at least for me again, even in the best of circumstances, It is excruciatingly challenging to feel good from moment to moment about how things Mm -hmm. are unfolding as a parent. And when you're then faced with challenges above that and beyond that, that would require a community of support. It is so hard. And so my heart breaks for the people in this story and for Tristan Mm -hmm. in this story. There's, I think, potentially the opportunity for the audience to walk away with a great deal of compassion for people who have, who lived this experience, you know, from day to day.
3: And yeah. y'all correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to blame this on Jules. Jules said this in rehearsal. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> I think she referenced it that Lauren, you hadn't had any kids yet when she wrote the play, yeah, I which I, after hearing you yeah. speak about you know, your experience and not being, feeling able to write about it, like mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think we're, you know, she's not in a, um, she's in a fixed relationship with the subject matter mm-hmm. here versus like when you're in it and <laughs> you want to write when you're feeling like your kid's yeah. little turd yeah. or
1: yeah. <laughs> it changes so quickly too. Right.
0: You're like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah.
1: But she also dedicated the play to her own parents, right. Right. which is a, an interesting choice to make when you've written a play about very complicated people trying to parent a complicated kid. To my mom and dad. (laughs) It's complicated. It's complicated. Or thank you. You're not like this. Yeah.
0: Or thank or just thank you.
1: Yeah. I mean, thank you
0: for all of the complicated and uncomplicated moments in our lives. Yeah.
3: What do you what are you hoping that people take away? I've thought about specific. This might be oversharing. I've thought about specific people in my life and what they will take what I think they will take away or most connect to in the show, but I don't know that it's a thing where just like a general, I hope audiences get this because there are so many elements. Like I would get a lot out of seeing this play. I don't have kids, but I feel like I, I connect to it and people who aren't grieving or haven't had an immense loss in their life. I feel they still can get something from it. So that thing that I hope they get changes, but I do think there's, there is a designed catharsis in the play and, and a lot of hope that it gives you. hmm so I hope people leave feeling some of the light that I feel is inherent in the play, and even through the challenging moments.
0: As an actor, we know where we're going to be at the end of the play, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Does your character know where you want to be at the end of the play? Or is that a discovery for your character?
1: Yeah, so the what we'll call day one for ourselves as a, a way of orienting, okay, this present moment is the day that we're in, and everything else is flashback of some variety is to say in this day today is the second anniversary of the disappearance of our child so uh, we expect a couple of things to happen but in terms of the ultimate revelation and the ultimate hope that these two characters get i think that's that comes to both of them in the middle of the play for guy you can correct me if i'm wrong but for guy he's like okay today we have a deadline we said Two years, we're going to have this big conversation about where we are emotionally and how we exist as a couple without our kid. So that has to happen today. And Fiona is just like, somebody needs to beat me up for what I view yeah. as my complicity in what happened to my kid. So I don't think that it comes out in the way that she hopes, but it finally does come out and she finally does get to real reveal those pieces of her story that are important to making her on the road to okay. I don't know that either of us Feels the real hope and sees the light at the end. But it's like, okay, we can start to have those darker conversations and start to knit ourselves back together in that way. There's movement. There's movement. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I think Guy has found himself sort of pulled into the gravity well of Fiona's despair. Mm -hmm. And it's something that has grown and become more complicated and confounding in the intervening two years and he is in a process of just wanting to understand it just wanting to know where she is like where she's gone so that they can reorient themselves wherever they are i don't i i don't see him as having like a judgment about what they're feeling as individuals just to understand yeah. what they're feeling hmm. as individuals yeah
0: i would like to know what has been a favorite of yours about this experience, this play, anything related to In A Word? For me,
2: the wordplay. <laughs> I love wordplay. I, I love the modularity of language. And what Lauren is doing in this script is really beautiful. And like you said, Matthew, it tickles your brain. There is something on every page <laughs> that tickles my brain. Just how she's taking language and turning it. She's interrogating it. She's exploring it. She's, you know, saying, oh, this is a weird little phrase that we all say that, yeah, we we say without understanding what it can mean or or how it can be received and all of these things. And yeah, just like playing with words like, like a set of Lego blocks. I really
3: enjoy that i i mean i I' enjoying getting to play so many different characters, which is it's fun <laughs> and uh uh but in particularly i I love Tristan so much mm. um the 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 child and um just getting to go in, in, into that seven year old world and and it's nice it's such a lovely way to look at the world. <laughs> As a seven year old, or my, what I feel as a seven year old, and, and this seven year old <laughs> mm-hmm. in particular, because Tristan is so smart and so funny mm-hmm. and, uh, and observant and harshly so sometimes, <laughs> um, and to not care <laughs> that, that you are so smart and funny <laughs> and observant. And um, it's, it's really liberating. And, and I feel like I, I get, I receive a lot. Uh, Matthew, the actor, receives a lot from Tristan, the character, um, and his wisdom.
0: What's a lesson?
3: <laughs> it's okay to ask for what you want and if you if you or it's okay to demand what you want yes. if that doesn't work. And not caring about the consequences or not looking not anticipating consequences, I guess, mm. of trying to get what you want.
1: I really love being back home. I've missed Durham <laughs> a lot and it's really great to be back and be working with Thaddeus again and to be working with Jules, who is always the smartest person in the room and yet never makes me feel stupid. Her capacity for pattern making and connecting things is just glorious. And I really
0: appreciate it. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was delightful to Geek out with you in this way, <laughs> It takes so much pleasure from it. And I'm not even in rehearsal, but it's like wonderful. So everyone should come and see the show. I will put all of the information in the show notes. And I wish all three of you break in of the legs. Thank you, Thank Tamara. You. Thank you so much. Hey friends, did you know that I'm working on a new audio drama to be released this summer, 2019? It's an adaptation of my stage play, Master Builder. This is a whole new kettle of fish for me, and I'm so excited. We're revealing all sorts of behind-the-scenes goodies via the Artist Soapbox Patreon page, and we'd love for you to join us as we roll toward completion. Patrons who donate $3 or more per month have access to updates and extras, and even more excitingly, they'll have early access to the completed audio drama before the general public. Come on and join us at patreon.com artistsoapbox.